Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. Can you feel it? The stirring of seeds in the ground, our collective energy slowly awakening from winter's hibernation. I queued up Groundhog Day last week, did some rituals for the new moon and in bulk, the cross-quarter holiday marking the transition between winter solstice and spring equinox and lit a candle in every room of the house at sundown to honor the sun's returning, the days growing longer. My guest this week is a dear friend, Brad Talley. Brad recently let go of a long and complex career in musical artist management and is currently in training to become a psychotherapist. In his spare time, he conducts paranormal investigations. Brad walks me through his spiritual transformation through his work, especially kicking into high gear in 2020. Indeed, I would be curious to research just how many of us went through a spiritual renaissance collectively during the pandemic. My conversation with Brad got me thinking about the notion of hauntings and just how much this concept mirrors the human psyche. We all have parts of ourselves and our experiences that feel trapped in various moments in time. In fact, this is a key component of recognizing, diagnosing, and treating trauma. Another theme echoes throughout our conversation, which is that our thoughts are powerful. Indeed, they shape our reality. It's no coincidence to me that many ghost stories you hear are traumatic in nature because until it's fully processed, trauma always leaves an imprint and an energetic residue in its wake. I'm also increasingly intrigued by the concept of egregores or thought forms. This is a theosophical notion of an object or non-physical entity that is created by the collective power of thought. An example would be the beloved figure of Santa Claus, a concept that we have poured so much collective thought and energy into that he in a sense becomes real. The theosophist Annie Besant in the 1901 book Thought Forms divides them into three classes— Forms in the shape of the person who created them. Forms that resemble objects or people that may become ensouled by nature spirits or by the dead. And forms that represent inherent qualities from the astral or mental planes, such as emotions. 
the term is found in the Tibetan Book of the Dead and also used in the esoteric practice of magic. Magic, to use one of my favorite definitions from Anne Murray Hissock's The Green Witch, is, quote, the use of one's natural energy with conscious intent and awareness to help attain a better understanding of the world around you and to harmonize yourself with the world's energies, unquote. This concept gets a lot of attention as the law of attraction, which has recently been repackaged as manifestation. But the truth I'm learning is that it's much older and also more sacred. Scott Cunningham would say magic is change wrought by psychic means. Jessica Dore would add that magic is about using the subtle to influence the dense. No matter how you make sense of it, the truth is that our thoughts are powerful. We use this truth in mental health treatment all the time. In dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT, a treatment model developed to help clients learn to better regulate their emotions, especially if they've been engaging in destructive behaviors. Mindful awareness skills are taught and used to disrupt and redirect the process of feeding intrusive or maladaptive thoughts. This is especially useful in the treatment of disorders such as OCD as well. According to Bulgarian philosopher Omram Mikhail Ivanov, quote, If there is one thing that is important for you to know, it is that every thought, even the most insignificant, is a living reality. Thoughts can be seen. There are people who can see them. Of course, on the physical plane, a thought is invisible and intangible, but it is no less real. In its own region and with its own subtle matter, it is a living, active being. Unquote. Of course, I can't help but apply this concept to our dreams as well, lending an additional layer of magical realism, if you will, to the scenes that play out before us every night. Brad speaks about the importance of respect in dealing with the spirit realm. When we encounter a ghost, we may be encountering a thought form related to trauma. The treatment of trauma involves witnessing and validating this suffering. In our conversation, Brad speaks about his evolution of learning to use the power of thought for his own spiritual and emotional healing. I hope you enjoy it. Brad Talley, welcome to Psyche Magic. Oh, thank you so much. I'm <laughs> thank excited. you for being here. I'm so excited. I'm honored to be here. Thanks, Brad. Brad and I have a lot in common. Yes. It's very fun. Plus, we're into all this spooky spiritual stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So, Brad, let's pull a tarot card. Okay. How do you feel about that? It makes me nervous, and I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Tell me why. 
Well, I, I okay. So somebody had me pull pull one at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Like before, everybody really knew how this was gonna go. Like, and um, I was really hesitant that night. I was already just kind of not feeling it, and they sort of pushed me. And I grabbed one, and it was like the worst possible. It was basically like everything in your life is about to go away, and you're going to start over from scratch. And it was just like they felt so bad after. You said, Brad, we're so, oh my God, we're so sorry. I'll never do this again. And it kind of all happened though. And, you know. You don't remember what card it was? I don't. It's okay. And all that did happen. And of course, it, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'm on the other side of it. But mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> but it brings up that little letter of <laughs> it nervousness. It does. I'm sure. It does. So yeah. as long as I don't get that one, I'm okay. Well, and the way that I like to do this on the show is that it's really about like just sort of guidance of this conversation. So it's not as much of like setting an intention to see what's coming or, you know, I mean, tarot has classic associations with being like a fortune telling tool. And I tend to view it more as a tool to receive guidance from spirit. I tend to lean that way too. Yep. It's just the way that feels the most like aligned with what I'm looking for you know yeah so i think i already kind of honed in on the one that's jumping out at me for this conversation okay so let's see what we got (gasps) oh brad okay we got the magician all right tell me about it yeah okay so i'll tell you a couple things that like are coming up for me and then you tell me kind of what jumps out at you if you want to look at the card a little bit more Uh, i will describe it So the Magician is the first card in the Major Arcana series. It is the iconic image of a man in a red robe standing with one finger pointed above, the other below. He's got all four elements or suits of tarot spread out on the table before him. And he's got an infinity symbol above his head. So he represents just like unlimited potential. Like he's ready to basically do anything, go anywhere, see anything, be anyone. Okay. Yeah. So what happens for you when you look at this card? Well, I mean, I'm first, I'm just relieved. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I'm relieved. It, it kind of resembles, it has a bit of energy of how I feel mostly right now, which is a bit more balanced. Yeah. A bit more whole. And uh, the infinity symbol is also, you know, represents, a, or to me, a bit of wholeness because it just... Mm-hmm. A little bit optimistic and a little more self-assured, maybe. Yeah. I would say that it's just a very, like, all-encompassing card. Like, it's a card that's reminding me that, like, you have everything you need. Yeah. That's what I feel Mm -hmm. right now and a bit more wholeness than I've felt in a long time. That's a great feeling, Brad. I'm glad to hear that. It is. That's awesome. (laughs) That makes me happy. Me too. And that's a lot coming from a pessimist. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah. it sure is. Yeah. Brad, you have shared with me that you did a project for a class recently that was about Charlie Brown. And you shared with me that, like, you always identified with Charlie Brown. Yeah, especially the Lucy and the football. Mm -hmm. I always felt like every time I would think something was about to happen or some fulfillment or... I just always felt like, despite all my best intentions and my belief in myself even that the last minute that it was going to pull the football up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Like that being the assumption. Yeah. And as I've been thinking about our conversation and just sort of the shared encounters with like spirit and the spirit realm that we've had, it has gotten me thinking a lot about like the power of thought. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's already kind of coming together for me in my mind. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's okay. I mean, the video I, I sent you was about narrative therapy. I theoretically believe in that very much, and and it's true. Like when you say power of thought, made me think of that. It's yeah, you know how you write the story that's there, and you can write it a few different ways. Exactly. And but you can have the power of writing it. Yes. In the uh, uplifting, positive, yes. meaningful way. Exactly. You can choose to sort of thicken the plot of your narrative instead of just looking in one direction, especially if I'm habitually used to looking in a more negative, pessimistic direction. I can try to just expand that outlook a little bit more. And the magician is a master of thought. Like the magician is a master of manifestation and directing thought. And literally, Brad, like when I've talked to my husband, Daniel, about you, I've Mm -hmm. said like, Brad is one of those people who like puts the man in manifestation. Like we love a man (laughs) who like understands these concepts. So yeah, well, it's kind of newer for me. Like in the past couple of years of realizing that I don't have to live in a certain mindset. Instinctively, I sort of go there, but I'm reteaching myself that I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not not working, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. Um, it's, It's a healthier way to live. I agree. And... Pessimism, and I'm not talking about going back to like a, this Pollyanna overly optimistic thing. I'm talking just about, but pessimism, any sort of negativity is, is so contagious. Yeah. So if you can fight that off, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out great, but it's a different way of living and a different way of going through the day that's healthier. Yeah. Yay. Okay, Brad. So we'll see. We'll see what the magician has for us throughout this conversation. But I think he's already giving us a lot. Yeah, I'm excited. Yay. Okay. (laughs) So we've got a lot to talk about, my friend. We've had some very exciting experiences together lately that you have sort of paved the way for. So let's kind of start in the dream realm, and then we'll move more into the conscious realm, if that's okay. Yeah. So tell me, what's been going on in your dream life lately? It's been happening, Brad. What do you want to talk about there? Nothing currently significant or unusual. I have certain reoccurring dreams that Mm -hmm. happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's generally about people that have, their role has changed in my life, whether it's through passing away or moving away or their you know role changing significantly and and they show back up in my dream in that former place that they were like even mm. with my dad who passed when i was a kid like he'll he'll show up in these dreams and for a moment it's nice but the dreams are always you're not supposed to be here yeah this isn't right this isn't how it's supposed to be am i right in saying that let's say in this example where your dad shows up, it's almost like a trigger for like lucidity, like knowing that this isn't real. Is is that what it feels like? Yeah, like it starts to feel, you know, kind of like, oh, okay. Wow, it's, you know, and I, in the case for him, I really didn't know him that well as a a person, but 
just his presence. And at first it's very comforting, but then I realized in the dream that this isn't supposed to be happening. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird sort of dichotomy of like comfort, but also Mm -hmm. comfort of them being there, but also comfort in the fact that our paths or our roles in our life have the script has played out exactly the way it was supposed to. He wasn't supposed to be in my life longer than he was. Wow. And I don't know why I, you know, when I have that and I had about a couple other people, but it's, it's, um, we did our thing. Exactly. We already had our purpose in what we're supposed to do for each other has passed. Mm -hmm. Like the sort of karmic outcome of like what, you know, the wheel turns and things happen and things begin and they end. And so that has already played out, like you said, the way that it was meant to. And so it sounds like the emotion of the dream is complex. Like there's the comfort, but then there's also resistance. There's the comfort, there's a huge discomfort, and then there's a realization of we danced our dance to the song that I'm supposed to play now. We're going mm-hmm. on to the next song. Mm-hmm. But I still hear from him in different ways. But in the dream realm, that's very much... I don't know why... It, I don't remember a lot of dreams, but I have that reoccurring thing. Mm-hmm. That it's gone on for years. Like that emotional patterns where yep. it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. And you said that it happens with other people, too, who've like moved in and out of your life. Yeah, like long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like that. Yep. When you wake up from those dreams, what's usually happening for you? I'm still feeling every complex feeling. Like they're very emotionally like salient. They yeah. stick around. Part of me is a little relieved to wake up, but the maybe within it, it's seeing other paths that could have been. It's a painful but comforting. It's a weird mm-hmm. feeling. And isn't that, I mean, when I think about the work that I do with clients and the way that it feels to heal emotionally, it almost always feels painful as it feels better. Like it's almost always both. It's like I'm going a little bit deeper into the pain that's there because that's what's helping me sort of move through and begin to come out on the other side. Like I have to have both. Yeah. And in those particular cases, I wouldn't. My life would be very different if my dad had mm-hmm. lived, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Better, worse, say, whatever. It would have been different, mm-hmm. very different. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have ended up, the paths I've been on my life wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I lost a client. This was in the spring of 2021. So, like, coming up on a year ago. Mm-hmm. And... I have had so many like moments of realization and understanding that my client passing away actually set me on a path of opening myself up to the spirit world and messages. Like this is one of the first conversations you and I had about like signs. Mm -hmm. And it was within the context of that loss that I started noticing an attunement to the spirit realm that I had never noticed before. Yeah. And so it's it's like you're saying, it's like that was immensely painful. Like it still is immensely painful, even as I'm trying to talk about it right now. And it set me on a path that I know I'm supposed to be on. Right. Even just our conversation randomly of how it happened was we hadn't talked about. Yeah. We hadn't talked about anything 
spiritual paranormal. We talked about movies a lot. We that talked about was movies, like our go-to. But it was when, yeah, but it was when like I had started, came up because I had been shooting some stuff at the Octagon. And yes. So to your voice, like, yes, it, that kind of gave you another outlet to talk to somebody. and Exactly. Maybe it was a universal reinforcement of that. I think so. And you told me about a book that I will link to called Signs, the Secret Language of the Universe. And that book that made a huge shift for me in terms of learning how the spirit world communicates. Yeah. And so I have begun slowly to learn how to speak that language and use that language when you talk about the ways that you are still kind of in contact with your dad, mm-hmm. it sounds like I think for some people connecting through sleep and the dream realm feels more natural. And I think for others connecting in terms of more kind of like signs and things that are happening consciously feels much better to them. Like, yeah. I, I think it depends on the person. The author of the book, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to mess up her name by Yeah. We'll listen but, to it. Yeah. But, um, her and I had an email exchange while mm-hmm. I was reading the book about an experience. And she said that the most common experiences happen as you're falling asleep or as you're waking up. That makes sense. And she didn't go into why exactly, but it does make sense. And I think I have, you know, maybe my theories of why, which is getting out of the frontal lobe, I guess, you know, like, and, and starting to access other areas of the brain when you're falling asleep or you're waking up you're not in that exactly yeah i think there's this i think people think within talking about the signs of the universe Mm -hmm. right i think most people think of whatever that is the spirit is in the framework of religion right where you have something that's a bit more all-knowing and all-powerful and so why can't they just manifest themselves all the time or do this and I think that's a very misleading sort of thing. I think we assume like they can just reach across time and space, like to what I seem to feel like is they're in another space. They can't necessarily reach across, even though they always describe themselves as being around the corner mm-hmm. almost, you know, but like, I think there's this misnomer that like, well, if ghosts are real, why don't they just do this here, do this there, do something more obvious. And it's like, why do you think they can? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's because we think about afterlife, or most people probably in the framework of religion, or just in media in general. Yeah. But the reality is probably a lot more complex than we ever will know. And it's mm-hmm. has to do with energy and consciousness and, you know, the amount of energy it might take for something from a different uh, form of the spirit to connect may be very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing that's coming to me as you speak about that is that we also have to be in a place where we are like open to that kind of communication. Yeah. Because it's happening like at a different vibration and like on a different plane. And if the conditions are not met in order to be receptive to that, the message isn't going to get through. Like the frequencies aren't going to align. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. You know, we're all limited somewhat on our degree of sense, you know. Mm -hmm. We have certain senses, but then all those are very, very modified. There's, 
you know, we can't see, but in a certain spectrum, we can't hear with in a very compressed frequency range. Mm-hmm. So. And so as Brad and I were planning this conversation, we talked about how Brad has had this sort of journey from what he calls skepticism to more than mm-hmm. skepticism. So talk to us about that. Yeah. Journey from skepticism to more than. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I was raised religious, like a lot of people in, in that culture, especially in the South, and you get your license and you don't have to go to church every Sunday. You know, you just sort of grow away from it. And over the years, you get you experience more. I think I had come to a place where I was somewhere like vacillating between atheist agnostic. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, when I say skepticism, I'm not necessarily talking in terms of faith. This is just a yeah. But, yeah. you know, just in general, right? Yeah. But I loved in the, like, I don't know, 2008, 2000, somewhere in there, the sci-fi had this show, Ghost Hunters, that I was oh, just, yeah. just obsessed with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to do it so bad. I wanted to do it because I think... Probably being a child of the 80s, it just seemed fun. Like, it kind of harkened back to some of the, like, I'm going to go on a Goonie adventure. I'm going to do something fun like this. But then part of me was just like, is this shit real? And I was working on an album with a producer here in town that I, you know, we had worked on a few projects together and we had gotten to be friends. And we were working at the studio late one night. And the show came up. Ghost Hunters, and he he was obsessed with it, too. And he said, you know, I mean, we can go to some of these places. It just hit me for the first time. I was like, yeah, why, why couldn't we go to some of these places? And then that really, for me, questioned, like, okay, is this shit for real? Well, I don't know. I'm going to go. I want to go find out, you know? I'm going <laughs> to see what that's like. And yeah, that's, we just started doing that. You know, my first experience was at a, one of the famously haunted places and they've done, you know, all the shows have been there multiple times, but it was the, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Which has got all the haunted elements, you know, it's, it's very, the whole place is just like, you look at it and you just feel, I mean, the energy alone just the architecture and it's you know it was a tuberculosis hospital Mm. they were losing a patient per hour at one point wow you know there's a lot a lot of awful stuff and um so we went and we stayed the night you know i'll be honest through most of the night just just like walking around in in an old building you know and (laughs) in the dark and the scariest thing or the most unnerving thing would be the bats flying down the hall. That oh, would, you know, yeah. Know. That would get me. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think any of us, one of the guys with this, he would record some stuff and then play back, you know, to see if you mm-hmm. would hear anything. And there was only one thing that night that happened. Like he played back something and we heard what sounded like a choir of children singing. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay. It's four in the morning. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think we just left exhausted and thinking, ah, oh, this is a bunch of BS, you know? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Were you 
walking into that encounter now coming at it from sort of a lens of skepticism like let's let's just see if there's anything to this did you have any sort of fear around like what you might see did you have stories from your religious upbringing about like fear of the spirit world or like bad evil spirits like did you have any of that yes and they tell you stories on site the people who are on the place of I mean, like, they fill you with the stories. I wasn't necessarily... That wasn't on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Just curious. If anything, what lingered on me is a little bit is, am I being disrespectful? That's interesting. Yeah. Am I being disrespectful to the history of this place and huh. the people that died? That, to me, more than anything, was probably, if I had a hesitation, that was it. Yeah. People died here, and they experienced so much pain here, you know, and that felt a little weird, but... Okay. But we, yeah, we finished the night and we all went back to our, our hotel and slept. And I think we were just kind of feeling like, well, we went and we did that. And it was like a week later, I get a call from Nielsen, my friend, the producer. And he's like, dude, are you at your computer? I just sent you something. You got to hear this. Mm-hmm. And he just started going through his audio from a period of the night where there were three of us off to ourselves in one floor in one wing of the place just sitting in a room and we were recording and you know the evp stuff where you electronic voice phenomenon where you may not hear it at the time well we had one of those and it was very like there was no denying it Mm -hmm. and what it was it was like we were in this room and you hear two footsteps come in and they sound like boots and they sound like boots on wood or something they're not the floor now is stripped out in concrete so it wasn't on that you know and then it was me and nelson and a female friend of his and the voice comes in boom boom and then you just hear male voice just go whore (laughs) whoa and it was like so loud and so like we were just like what the heck is that so that sort of even though we didn't feel anything that night as far as a personal experience, that got us all thinking, oh, well, maybe we should check our audio. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then everybody started checking their audio, and there was a lot of stuff. Wow. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. Things that, that you didn't perceive in real time, but that were captured on the recording. Yes. Yeah. And I realize I'm not answering your question necessarily because it's kind of a long, I'm going to skip to, I'll skip ahead. I'm going to shorten it. What I will say is even in those moments, you're like, okay, but what is that? Yeah. And your brain can't really process it. So after time goes by, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's like your brain hits a wall and you're kind of like, whatever. There's no schema for this. Like there's no way to logically make sense of it. And it becomes very easy. I've experienced this for the brain to want to just dismiss information that it can't categorize. Exactly. Yeah. And it does. And it's like, I I went on for years after that still leaning toward even though i would hear things i would see things we would get things on tape after a while you sort of forget about it so the first turning point was we went to a place in birmingham called the sloss furnace which had also been featured on some shows you know this place was um an original like steel mill that sent out iron that built the country Mm -hmm. and the building and all is still intact, but these days they use it for outdoor events and 
music festivals or weddings or whatever. So when a friend found out I was doing this and she said, you know, I was tour managing at this for a band that played at Sloss and she didn't know anything about the place. Didn't know it was haunt, supposedly haunted, didn't know anything. Just knew that when they got there, one of the employees said, you know, if you guys keep in this area, don't walk down here because there's a lot of hazards on site. There's a lot of underground tunnels. There's a lot of old buildings and they don't want the liability. So she said that they, her and a few more people were standing out in this courtyard, kind of off to where they shouldn't be, but they weren't necessarily going any further. And they all look up and here comes this man walking down the sidewalk and he's dressed in some older type garb and they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. By now we shouldn't be here. We'll move back. And guy had his like head down, was just walking and he got like in, about 30 feet away and just disappeared. Yeah. And they didn't know anything, right? You know, it's like, I love stories like that when people are just... They weren't expecting anything. Anything, no. So the only ghost there that I had learned about was this foreman who was supposedly a pretty mean fella and none of the employees liked him and he died in an accident there. But they don't think it's an accident. They think they actually pushed him into the furnace. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I purposely didn't read any more about this place. I don't want to get these stories in your head, you know. Yes. It's a really quiet night. It's not a great place to sort of investigate because there's a lot of the properties outside. There's a lot of external noise. The experience itself was pretty kind of blah, but there was one point in the night where there are a few underground tunnels that run between the furnaces and even those like have a lot of water running and stuff. It's hard to hear, but that was the first time for uh, in the night we had that moment of the atmosphere changing. Okay, which is a thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, something's something's mm-hmm. different. Something energetically has shifted, yes. and we all noticed it. Yes. Yeah. And so one of the guys like, oh, I think I see somebody down there on the other end of this walkway, and. So we're like, well, let's do some EVP stuff. Let's just see. So I tend to be the the EVP discussion leader. I, um, (laughs) you know, are we not supposed to be here? And at one point we heard audibly in real time something say, go home, (laughs) you know. Wow. We're like, okay. And when you hear this stuff, it comes out of nowhere. It's very strange, hard to describe. A lot of... People who like to be skeptical are like, are you sure they didn't have speakers in there? And I'm like, I just don't even care to try to explain this to you. But no, mm-hmm. that's not what it's coming from. I yeah. wish it's it's like it's so close and so far away. Yeah. But anyway, one of the things I, I say, you know, are you the foreman? Is this your job to keep us from trespassing? And so later I got home, you know, a week or so later, I was checking the audio. And when I, when I ask that question, I get an answer. And the voice is softer, but it's male. And it sounds like it's saying maybe Edward. Like the last syllable was very hard, but the first one was soft. But it was like Edward something. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go through. I'm going to do some research now. Yeah. And if something comes up, to me, that'd be pretty interesting. So the first thing that pulled up was... The foreman slag. Well, his name was James Wormwood. Okay. Yep. And when you hear it, 
that's exactly guys saying the last name. Yep. And even though all the stuff I'd heard, seen, whatever, the fact that something connected me back to the property and the experience, that was the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Something that really, like, sunk in. For right. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's learn about an A-list dreamer and spiritualist, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of the iconic character and indeed thought form, the great detective Sherlock Holmes. As a quick side note, my husband Daniel and I are big fans of the BBC show Sherlock, featuring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. I highly recommend it. I wanted to talk about Conan Doyle in the context of Brad's interview because I was struck by the powerful juxtaposition of this figure. He created a character whose religion was his highly advanced sense of logic and powers of deduction, which he wielded almost like a superpower. And yet, he became one of the world's best-known and most outspoken proponents of spiritualism, the belief that the dead are able to communicate with the living, usually through an earthly conduit or medium. Conan Doyle's interest in spiritualism persisted through much of the late 19th century, exploring mystical ideas about spirits in the afterlife as a young doctor, slowly making his own journey from skeptic to more than. He also had journals and documents of tracking his dreams, especially during a time of poor health later in life. Before his death in 1930, the last 14 years of his life were devoted to writing and lecturing about spiritualism, which he described as, quote, the most important thing in the world and the particular thing which the human race in its present state of development needs more than anything else, unquote. In Britain, during the years after World War I, many families were eager to connect with lost loved ones. Conan Doyle's own brother and son died during an influenza pandemic that swept the world in the wake of the Great War, and the author believed that they contacted him through various mediumistic experiences. He believed that the study of psychic and mediumistic phenomena held the key to a scientific basis for religion. One could argue that a global tragedy in the form of yet another pandemic has once again opened our eyes and hearts to a wave of receptivity and openness to various forms of spirituality and the spirit realm. Interestingly, Conan Doyle also befriended Harry Houdini over a shared interest in spiritualism. However, Houdini had an experience with a medium that left a bad taste in his mouth, and this led to a rift between the two of them. A reminder that any form of fundamentalism is destructive and isolating, and that each person must be trusted to find their own path and nurture their own ideas. Ultimately, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wanted to spread this idea that, quote, there is a glamour and mystery to life. Unquote. Here, here. Now, back to my interview with Brad Talley. 
And then the second thing was when we were filming the documentary at Octagon. Yes. Which and... I will link to this for the <laughs> listeners because I've spoken about the Octagon Hall on a previous episode, The Spirit World Dreams, Episode 7. But a very historically known for being haunted yes. building. And can you describe a little bit about the history just quickly? Because it's escaping me right now. Sure. The whole thing, again, it's like your classic sort of got all the good ingredients for a haunting. You yes. Know, first of all, it's it's an extraordinary building that's built with eight sides. And it dates back to some weird masonry stuff. And that's there's. Right. There's other things about the lines that it's built on, some of the magnetic lines, but then the, and it's built on like a limestone quarry, which is supposed to hold energy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it just had all the fixings for, you know, like a family lived there. One of their children died on the property. Mm-hmm. It was during the Civil War, you know, it fell within the Confederacy, but the Union took it over. Mm-hmm. And the Union Army knew that the family was still sympathetic to the Confederacy, so they treated them awful, mm-hmm. abused them. Mm-hmm. There's so much more, but that's kind of the main. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different spirits or different things we've encountered there. But the one of the ones that's more prominent is the girl in the Caldwell family that died in the fire. Mm-hmm. His name was Mary Elizabeth. Yes. Yeah. This is the one that I think that we encountered when we were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. She's the first person, and I've been there now, I don't know, like 25 times mm-hmm. more. And the first time we walked in this place, like got three steps in, I heard her laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she showed up a few times. So that's a little bit kind of the history of the house. But yeah, yeah it's... it's you could do a whole few hours on it and the exactly. experiences there. It's pretty yes. insane. Yes. Yeah. And the documentary is fantastic. This was the Orphan Brigade, the band yeah. that filmed a documentary about making their record in this house and like forming this very special relationship to the house itself and some of the spirits there. Yes, which is really a brilliant idea on Nielsen's part just so we could spend more time there. Yes. You know, in terms of because we were talking about kind of the like solidifying moments for you. Yes. It sounds like there were definitely some at the Octagon as well. <laughs> yeah, there was one in particular. And um, I always wanted that thing that was just like completely undeniable where the brain could not write it off weeks later or dismiss it. That like you absolutely, this freaking happened. It was one night we were there writing a song about Mary which always tended to get a huge reaction, anything about it. We were writing a song about Mary up in her bedroom, which is on the top floor. Then there's the first floor, and then there's the basement. There was the energy shift for a moment, but in the middle of this, you know, we had the lights on and everything. It was just like the loudest bang. It sounded like somebody... So it was just like, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. And you could hear glass rattling, and the floor shook. I mean, we all jumped up, and it's the only time I've ever been frightened. That makes sense. But I was frightened because not one part of me thought this was paranormal. Not even remotely. I, sure. I was like, some Kentucky people are breaking in here because they've Something's had break-ins. Yeah. yeah. And I, what I thought was that they were initially, like, banging the door downstairs. And, um, I mean, we, we just stood there for a second just looking at each other, like, paralyzed, didn't know what to do. 
So we stood up there in silence for a while until we didn't hear anything else. Then we started to make our way downstairs and we started immediately, you know, trying doors, slamming things, and nothing even came close. Mm-hmm. Not even close. And we did that for a while and we couldn't recreate it. So we're like, well, we should probably just go on home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but at the time, they were running a 24 hour audio in the place that just went on. So we left a message with the owner and said, there's a significant audio event that happens at like 10, 15. Let us know if you hear it. Mm -hmm. And the next day they went in and they listened and they couldn't recreate it at first either. And later in the day, the place operates a bit as a museum. I don't think it's very popular, but they, they have these big museum tables you know that's made out of hardwood with the thick glass tops mm-hmm. that are locked and one of them in the basement went by one of them and realized that all the artifacts in that had been jostled around mm-hmm. he got one of the other guys and they went down there as a 350 pound table mm-hmm. the two of them could barely lift it like that much they dropped it i don't know went up recorded it, dropped it again and that was the sound and that night it did it three consecutive times mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no doubt yeah like i mean there is that wasn't a faint whisper that mm-hmm. wasn't a shadow running through, across something that was that was the the one thing the sort of holy grail of okay this mm-hmm. there's something happening and i i think it's interesting people always go well aren't you the first thing people ask is like if it can move that table it can move you mm-hmm. and it's like does that make you scared and i'm like it doesn't make me scared. I, you, again, we're thinking about it in terms of, I don't know, we were in this certain framework. Because my first thought, honestly, when I found out what it was, is I thought, what's in that What's in that table? Exactly. That yeah. they wanted us to see. Exactly. Like, how is this meaningful? Because, yeah, they could have picked me up that night and thrown me down the stairs, I guess. But they didn't. Something about that table. Mm-hmm. But that was the one for me that's still, like, I was there for that, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it was just like you said, it was an undeniable moment, and you know, even just the fact that Mary, who was the child who died in the fire, is one of the more active spirits there, and the fact that you all were in her room and writing a song about her, and the basement is where she died, right? Yeah, oh, the yeah. basement was where she mm-hmm. died, yes. And so I wondered if you got any sense of, like, any kind of emotional energy that felt, like, attached to that moment. Not that particular moment, but we have had other moments. Yeah. Yeah, and I was also having some adjacent experiences with um, this lady who was an astrologer slash intuitive healer that a friend had wanted me to go to. And she had unexpectedly had a, oh, well, your dad says, and then was like telling me things that my dad said. Wow. At first I was, again, skeptical and I was kind of angry. And okay. Don't pretend to do this. And the things that she initially said were very um, generic. Like your dad misses you. And, okay. You know, he's so proud of you. The generic dead mm-hmm. dad stuff. But then it would get like uber specific. Mm-hmm. Again, I can't explain it, but this lady did not know these things. Mm-hmm. We had just met. Mm-hmm. And she would 
stop and say, no, he says it's important to say it this way, not this way. And it wasn't that I just opened myself up to going ghost hunting. I think I opened it up in a few different ways of like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll show up Mm -hmm. and I'll be open. Mm -hmm. And so I'd had a couple of visits with her that were again, like really intense. And you kind of, you kind of walk away and you're like, well, there's no other way we could have had this conversation but your mind sort of starts to write it off. So I think around the time with Sloss and Octagon and yeah. all of that, I think it all just kind of like, that's what just sort of the tipping point. Yeah. And then skepticism for me is still like, I don't know what it is, but it's something. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The type of encounter that you're describing is the same type of experience that I've had with evidential mediumship so yeah. the whole idea is that the spirit is giving these like very specific pieces of information identifiers evidence mm-hmm. that help you the listener be able to remain open like, yeah okay i'm listening like this makes sense yeah i think ultimately it has helped me even though i don't know what any of this stuff is mm-hmm. or you know, I can have ideas. What what it's helped me eventually do is I don't, I'm still not a religious person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm, I'm still probably in the somewhere between agnostic atheist as far as like a particular what a God is or, you know, mm-hmm. but all of this sort of coalesce into bringing an element of spirituality back into my life. Yes. And so, you know, I had like, you know, there's the emotional element, the intellectual part of your wholeness, the physical, then there's the spiritual, like those kind of four things I feel like are the foundations of like what I consider wholeness and yeah. self-care and like wellness. Yeah, wellness. And so I think all those things opened up a place for me to bring spirituality back into my life. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's been the most helpful. Mm-hmm. Because you are going into this field, I know that this will resonate, but a lot of what we're learning about mental health care Mm -hmm. is that finding some, again, not not any specific religious framework, but finding some kind of spiritual connection, no matter how you get there. So whether it's through having a paranormal experience, a mediumistic experience, whether it's through uh, having a psychedelic experience. Yeah, for sure. With the plant world. Yeah. However you get there, we're learning and the research is showing that it can create lasting change for a person to kind of like open up that part of themselves and feel connected to the world around them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where I, where I've been and I realized that Go back to what you said earlier about dreams. I know you were talking about them in, but I had a message from my dad in 2020. His message to me was you have to dream. That's the only way that you create your future, your happiness, your wholeness. And you have stopped dreaming. Mm -hmm. You need to dream. That sort of led into what do I want? okay, maybe I could go to graduate school. I started to have visions of what my life could possibly be is where I didn't have that any longer. There can be like an opening. Yeah. And I'm looking at the magician now, by the way. Like, 
magician knows how to dream and imagine and imagine an outcome into being. Yeah. I don't know. It's so personal and weird, but I had this thing of uh, I got visited this time. Like it wasn't through somebody else. It was like the most insane. And he like spoke to me, but it was too much. I couldn't hear his voice because I, I wasn't used to it. I hadn't heard it in 30 some years. And I, what was the context of like receiving this message? Like what was happening? I was going to bed. Okay. Yeah. You're in that kind of in between. Yeah. And yeah, it was like everything around me just sort of dissipated. It was like uh, the wall, it was like it's in a centrifuge, like the walls just sort of peeled away. It was all like uh, very light and pure. Mm -hmm. And I asked him not to talk because, you know, it was too hard. It was uncomfortable. I didn't. So he showed me images and stuff. Yeah. But um, one of the things that he, there was a female that showed up in a few different places and it may be my spirit guide. Yeah. Um, and she had me ask, I don't want to say her name cause she'll respond. Oh yeah. To randomly, this sounds so dumb, but she asked me to, to my guidepost in life that they confirmed is always music. Yeah. I'll be in a spot and I'll hear a song and I'll know, that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. I get messages like that too. Yeah, and that's sort of how they communicate yeah. with me. Yeah. Okay, so they example they ask to play a song. Mm -hmm. No artist, no nothing. I did it three times, and every song was about dreams. I had dream in the title. Wow. And that's when I was like, Got it. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Wow. I, yeah. And so that was, I realize now that, you know, and I haven't really seen or heard from him since, but yeah. that was what I needed to know at the right time. It was a really low time. Yeah. When they when it happened, mm -hmm. and very much needed, and so in the in the theme of dreams, I, I think that message was really important to me. That because I I just I stopped giving up. Life became Lucy in the football. Yes. Right. I was like, I don't want to think. I don't want to hope about something. I don't want to dream. I don't because because it's gonna just be the football, and I'm gonna run and kick it. It's gonna come up. I'm gonna I don't fall even want to. I don't even want to mess with that. Good grief. Oh, oof. You know, I don't even want to mess with that, so I'm not opening myself up to it. Mm -hmm. And and since that time, I started thinking, okay, what? It used to be a dreamer, like a daydream, you know, like what do I want my life to be? Yeah. And so that opened me back up to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I really, I am so, like, moved by that story, Brad. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It is. It is. Like really. knowing you and having seen you just like blossom. I'm like getting very emotional. Like I've seen all of that play out and it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Thank you. I've gotten to like watch that in real time. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. And I didn't realize that there was this just like sort of powerful moment where it like it was revealed to you that like this is what you need 
and you have a team, like a spiritual team, who's guiding you. Yes. I had that visit, and then maybe a few nights later, there was like another one, but it's more from the spirit guide a little, a little bit. And a little bit in images of like showing something to me. And so when I first went to see this astrologer slash empath uh, <laughs> lady, which I didn't know was an empath, but yeah, uh, my friend paid for me to go. This lady, she's based out in California, but she had ties in Nashville. So, you know, I went to see her. I wanted to see her in person. I was mm-hmm. like, next time you're in Nashville, let me know. Yeah. And this is the only exchange that we had. And the whole session was incredible. But just, to, you know, for some context, like, she would just rent out whatever office she could get at the time. So the first time I saw her, she was in a financial building with a... So, it, you know, I wasn't going in a place with, like, dim lights and candles and sure. a crystal ball. I was sure. like, I was sitting down to get turned down for a, a loan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like the chair. She's at like the executive desk and... So, and the whole session was fascinating. When we get to the end where my dad supposedly comes into the picture, he's already reeled me in with some pretty specific things. And then and one of the things he talked about was you know, me being the last of my bloodline, which I am, and she had no idea of that. Yeah. So she said, your dad wants you to think about, like, mountains with these streams coming down. He wants you to think of the streams as like bloodlines. The bottom, it's like there's a resting pond or what some people call a healing pond where they all come together. Mm. And he was like, you're that healing pond. You're that resting pond. You're going to heal all these other streams. You know, she, like, she said, you know what that means? And I was like, well, no. And she's like, I'm so sorry we're out of time. Um, (laughs) So I'll be honest. I thought, you know, I I took that and my interpretation of it was very morbid. Okay. But comforting in an odd way. I thought, okay, I'm the last of my bloodline. Mm -hmm. By healing means I'm ending it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to put it into this bloodline of of men and people and um i thought of them as flawed I think i'm just here to end this i'm the stopping point mm-hmm. the resting pond you know, yeah it's done mm-hmm. uh like i was on a suicide mission to earth you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and so years and years and years that's just been over here mm-hmm. in 20 uh, 20 a little after i had that encounter I just told you about mm-hmm. I had um, sort of a vision and a realization of what it actually was mm-hmm. the words bloodlines the meaning was was narratives okay okay right because that's yeah, what stories that's what life yeah right it's narratives yeah yeah and they came down into this pond but it didn't mean it had to end there. What it meant was I can put the work in, I can open myself up and I can create a new narrative that starts from a singular point. Mm-hmm. And when I'm ready, if I'm ready, new streams can open up out of this bond. Yeah. So it wasn't the morbid, um, 
you know, like mission that I thought that I was. Wow. And it was like, you know, you have a power. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you have a power right now. Mm-hmm. It's down to you. Mm-hmm. You can rewrite, heal, whatever it is, every one of these mm-hmm. streams. Yeah. Yeah. And that card. I know. <laughs> like that's exactly that is exactly the magician's task. And I think about this a lot as a therapist and what I want my role to be as a therapist. And in a lot of ways, it feels like being a parent to many people. Like yeah. reparenting. Yeah. Many. So like many totally more, see that. Yeah. more streams, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. t- passing on that healing. Yeah. And I didn't feel overwhelmed. I felt excited. Yeah. I felt like I could dream and I can, and I can, I can dream new, new streams, new paradigms. But it took nine years for that message wow. to come into focus. And it came into focus at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm when I could really do something about it when I needed it. And it was, it lifted all this weight off of me. Of um, it, it made sense. All he was saying is, it's just you. Mm-hmm. And all the tallies now, there's just you. Yeah. So what you do from this pond, that's yours. Mm-hmm. That's yours. That's your narrative. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's and, beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's beautiful. I'm grateful and those sort of things have have definitely, again, I think the whole journey, even with the ghost hunting and stuff, I had to travel down these roads and push myself a bit Mm -hmm. to open myself up to learning to listen and how to listen Mm -hmm. and how to see and how to hear. That was, you know, it was all part of, of that for me. Yeah. Like attunement training Mm -hmm. yeah i am always moved when i hear about a message or a symbol sort of evolving over time and that's why i think that spirit chooses to use symbol Mm -hmm. is that it can hold so many different meanings and its meaning can change as we change yeah exactly and so you found this like new interpretation of that symbol that was exactly what you needed and that fit with this new chapter yeah it was so simple it's like one of those old uh 90s 3d art puzzles where you stare at it oh and God. then eventually Magic eye. yeah and then eventually <laughs> you like you just look at all this shit and then all of a sudden you like see the starship enterprise and you're like oh there it is you know it's like you're that's- trying so hard you're like Quinty. Yes. But then the key is that if you just like glaze and like relax, yeah. it comes into focus. That was exactly how it was. I mean, you know, yeah. like it was what my dad was saying. He obviously understood completely. I just didn't understand it. But I did. I eventually I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So I hope other people can find ways to, if you're skeptical about something or if you're but you have your you know, challenge yourself and you got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be 
<laughs> going to a, a place that's haunted or, or <laughs> doesn't on, even have to, you know, going to an MB. It could just be learning to breathe, learning to meditate, you know, trusting instincts in certain places, certain reactions, you know. In that book, the the signs book, that came to me a few weeks before these messages. Mm. And it came to me so randomly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for it. Mm-hmm. Somebody gave that book to me, and like it was as simple as, "What are you reading?" Yeah, like, oh, I'm reading this, and then this person had a story. They're like, "What? What you taking?" It was like, just came to me at the right yep time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really genuinely, you know, your your sort of encouragement that you're offering to really just be open. Yeah, like. Just be open. Let yourself kind of pay attention to what's being presented to you. Yeah. And be curious about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got nothing really to lose. I, I do think people are often scared of things within a certain framework. You know, mm-hmm. you think about a spirit or, or what is a ghost, and there's so much media about what that is. And yes. Sensationalization. All, you know, it's and, like, yeah. oh, and if you open up, oh, that's going to be bad. That was my, I had a huge block around that. If you're around enough, I mean, there's, I don't want to say evil, but there's negative and dark energies mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. you know, just like there is good. But you don't have to go open yourself up or go to a haunted house or think about like the times that you've walked into a room after two people have been fighting. Yes. Right? And you haven't heard them say a word. No, you just feel that But energy. you know that that's... The, yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. all it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever that is, is all of this. It's that. Yeah. That's something that I want to learn more about, which is... Because a big thing that I had to unlearn was deeply seated fear of the spirit world. Sure. And fear that opening myself up to the spirit world meant making myself vulnerable to quote unquote evil, mm-hmm. like dark um, energies. Sure. And so a lot of what I've been working through is kind of reframing a lot of that and thinking about negative energy as simply that negative energy, yeah. like kind of a residue of something that was negative. Mm-hmm. And so a quote that's really been helping me is that evil is a moral and not a metaphysical reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also talk about reframing is funny. You know, I, I sent you that EVP the other day from the octagon where it was a an less un- unfriendly, was an unfriendly, yeah. thing. but say you, some part of you was still attached to this place that was home and people were coming in there all the time and and looking around and doing things and you didn't, you just wanted to be at home. You wanted your space, you know, like you assume sometimes, but I think that's <laughs> when they say get out, go home. It's, it sounds pretty traditional, but that's what I would say to any unwelcome guest in my house. That's what I would say if someone walked into my house. I'd be like, get out of here. Get out of here. Unless I know you. Unless I have a relationship with you. Yeah. Unless I feel that our energies are harmonious. Because when you and I were at the Octagon, there was a moment where the energy shifted. 
And I had been a bit uneasy in the house. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the energy shifted and I felt welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. And we went, uh, we kind of impromptu went last week. And when we walked in, it was like, it felt like you were walking through soup. It was just, it was such a different feel. Yeah. It was just such a different feel. And it changes like that. It's it's so strange. By the time we left, it was felt fine. We're coming to the end of time, but I do want to ask this question. How do you think, being someone who's had a lot of these types of experiences, mm-hmm. how do you think we can remain like respectful and ethical in these types of encounters? Like, do you think that it's important to have some kind of framework around let's say you ask, are we welcome here? And the spirit mm-hmm. says, no. Like, do you think it's important to heed that? Like, how how do you kind of approach that? Like staying respectful. Yeah, well, I just try to treat the possible not living like I would the living. Yeah. You know, maybe that's just my nature. You know, some of these shows that have sort of happened, like the paranormal shows over the years have gone more into like, they're less skeptical. They're reacting to everything, and they're being more um, provoking. Yeah, I, I really am uncomfortable. I'm with that. really, I just always uncomfortable with that. You Me know, too. like I'm there one out of curiosity, and if there's something going on, I'm it's just like I would with anybody that's living. I'm going to be respectful, and, and that's how I I treat it. It's just like I'm still a guest here. It's not my place. A lot of times with EVPs, you may not hear until later that they say them. That's true. But there's been times at the Octagon where the first night we were ever there, it was like, it sounded like somebody took a a 50-cent piece and just slammed it, just threw it as hard as they could into the wall. And we all, it was three of us, and we collectively looked at each other and go like, we should go. Like this, yeah, we're not, our energies are not harmonizing tonight. It doesn't, yeah. yeah, we, We... that's just time to go. Yeah. And it felt... You just feel it. Yeah, you just feel it, you know. I'm way more scared of the living than the dead. Yes. But I treat them both the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to be respectful. Yep. No, I think that's helpful. I am bothered by a lot of what I see in terms of paranormal investigation. So it's nice to hear from someone who's doing it in this very, like, open, curious, respectful way. Yeah. Brad, thank you so, so much for sharing yourself, sharing your journey so honestly, so openly. It's been very sort of healing and restorative for me. So I think the listeners will feel the same. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And we'll hopefully we'll do a a live from the octagon. I would love to do a live from the octagon. That would be so fun. You should certainly have Nielsen on sometime. Oh my God, yes. Maybe do it there. Sorry, I don't want to. Not, uh, not no, the producer. We're, we're producing an episode right but now. But you should tell it just because I, you know, I've seen him parallel on this journey too, and yeah. and what he's seen, and, and then you know it's his story to tell. But you know, the octagon has he. There's a much deeper story there for him. Yes, like a very deep relationship. Yeah, I know. Yes, so there will be more more tales from the octagon. <laughs> But thank you, Brad. And so I will link to the documentary. Yeah. Um, is that something that if you wanted to share, like, your website or anything like that? Yeah, I can share my – I do have a little website. Yeah. It's not bad, but there and, – and on the website, there is a link to the film. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'll gladly do that. And it turned out great because it's it's just about all of us. It's about the living and the dead, that documentary, I feel like. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. It's very powerful, very special. So yeah, encouraging the listeners to check it out and we'll definitely link to it. So Brad, thanks again. Thank you. I know we'll have you back soon. Thank I you. I love it. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Brad Talley. The experiences you've chosen to share with us are incredibly touching and have stuck with me long after our interview. Thank you for being a true spiritual confidant. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. That's Psyche Magic with a C podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at Psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.